All right, good morning, everyone. My name is Chris Pate. I'm the lead pastor here, and you are here in our second service to begin our new eight-week series called 100 Years From Now. This is a series that we're taking from the book ourselves and creating a series out of it, but we're going to be going through this book in our groups on Sunday morning a little bit and extracting from it the ideas of planning and thinking about the future and specifically the actions we take today that determine the trajectory of our future. Did you know the thoughts that you have today, the actions that you have today will ultimately affect not just yourself but those around you and ultimately generations to come. And not only that, but the actions that have been taken in your life previously have come to this point to affect change or some type of movement into your life. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. What will you set in motion today that will be the domino effect for tomorrow? We want to help you and talk about that today. We're going to do it a little bit different. We're going to get into some scripture, of course. We've been in the book of John. It's been exciting. We had a great Campus Sunday last week, didn't we? Was it awesome? John, enjoy that. Good job, Campus Ministry. We had such a great time. A lot of students come out, eat chicken and waffles. It was great. And we're setting the domino effect for bad eating habits, but ultimately, hopefully loving Jesus. When we say domino effect, what do we mean? A domino effect is this. Here's the definition. A repercussion of an act or event under which every associated or connected entity is affected to a more or less the same degree. When you think about what you do today that really ultimately affects your tomorrow, I think it's helpful to also look at what has done in the past to get me to where I am or to get you to where I am. Because as I see that, I either have to shift and make change and say, I want to have a new trajectory. I want to start a new domino effect in my life. And that's ultimately what Christ does in our lives. I look at my past and I look at my family tree. Me and my wife will be celebrating 19 years of marriage coming up. But we both come from, yeah, you're well, yeah. We did it. We did it. We're not done. We both come from broken homes, though. Divorce just in every aspect of our lives. And so even our wedding was very interesting with broken homes and broken marriages. I, I was having a conversation with my uh, eight-year-old son yesterday, and he was like, what's your mom's name? You know, because he, he calls her Nana, and so he said, what's your mom's name? And I said, her name's Annette, and he's confused. Annette? Annette? No, it's Annette, A-N-N-E-T-T-E, -E, okay. So he's, he's like, okay, Annette, what's your dad's name? And I said, Tony. And he said, no, your dad's Jimmy, because that's my stepdad. So he thinks Annette and Jimmy, right? He thinks Nana and Papa, and he's just confused. And that's how I grew up. Just a broken home, broken relationship, that's all I knew. And, and just and my aunt, my uncle's just like, that's what we knew. That's kind of just, if it didn't work out, it doesn't work out. And you know, you just kind of fall in and out of love. And so when Christ came 
and set a new, new course for my life. Me and my wife, and she comes from a broken family too. We said, you know what? We're going to start a new domino effect, a new family tree in our life right now because of what Christ has done in me. The word divorce is not even in our vocabulary right now. And I'm not saying that to demean or make anybody feel bad that has gone through divorce or anything like that. God can redeem and set you on a new trajectory as well. And that's what he does. That's what he wants to do. That's what we've all gone through because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And God has to set us back up as we allow him to move and we give him our life. We gave everyone in here a domino as you walked in the door. Hopefully, if you didn't get one, get one on the way out because I want it to remind you that the decisions, the thoughts, and the patterns, and the actions you take today absolutely will affect you and others around you going forward. So me and my wife said, you know what? We are going to set a new domino effect in our life and allow the Lord to move us to pass on generation to generation. I told my son who's turning 16 this next week, help us, Jesus. Don't get on the road anytime soon. God bless you. <laughs> told my son, we are setting you up for success. Not that we're perfect. No, we're not perfect. But we, our goal is to set you up to see a good, healthy, loving marriage. So that's just what you expect. expect. Because see, the Bible says that generations that hate God will be cursed to the third and fourth generation, but those that love God to a thousand generations will be blessed. The love and submitting your life to God, the trajectory of passing on to the next generation is so beautiful and so amazing what God wants to do because he's so much more about blessing than about us having to fall into these patterns that are not helping and not ultimately moving his gospel and his kingdom and what he wants to do in life flourishing in our world. In order, though, to look forward, sometimes we got to look back. I found a few uh, amazing things online recently about 100 years ago, and, and this is true. 100 years ago, teenagers didn't exist. Now, that's, we were, you know, there were teenagers, but the term... You're like, what? Teenager did not exist actually until the 1940s. You know, 100 years ago, the Great War had just ended or World War I had just ended 100 years ago. 100 years ago, fun fact, there was no NFL. There was college football, right, Chad? But there was no NFL. 100 years ago, food was a lot cheaper, kind of. We say kind of because proportionally, but what's interesting is bread was about 10 cents. Butter cost about 68 cents. Egg, 63 cents. A middle-class family only took in about $1,500 per year and saved less than 100 annually. Did you know 100 years ago, modern conveniences included toasters and zippers? That's a sweet toaster. I wish I had that one. I don't know about you, but my Pop-Tart gets stuck at the bottom. It's so hard to get out. Ants love that toaster. That's a good one right there. But you think about our modern conveniences now. Anybody got an Instapot? Come on. Killing that thing, right? Got some modern conveniences. That was considered the modern conveniences. And you see 100 years ago, and in some ways you're like, okay, 1919? 
I mean, it just didn't seem that long ago. But then you see even the advances and the trajectory and what has happened in our modern conveniences, in our world, in our culture. And it does a good job of framing for us what it means today, what we do today and the things that we do today in order to advance and change generations to come. The family tree you set, the things you do, the way you treat your spouse today, is it going to flourish your marriage for 10 years from now? If you think about your children, if your children were to mimic your actions today, would they come to the conclusion that God is the central figure of your life and your ultimate ambition? Psalm 145 Verse 4, it was David's, one of his last psalms. And in this psalm, he's just extolling God, has all these different names for extol and worship and praise God. And he says in Psalm 145, 4, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And not just in, well, back in my day, But in, because God did it in my day, what more could he do in your day? Jesus would say, greater works will you do because I go to the Father. God expects a return. And he wants to multiply and create the snowball, the flywheel effect, the domino effect. As we submit ourselves to him ultimately and allow him to take our life and do with it what he wills. Sometimes we got to look back in order to be inspired, to be reminded that it's important what we do. College students, it's easy to think today, it's all just today. It doesn't matter. I can do what I want. It doesn't affect anybody. As long as I don't hurt anybody, it doesn't matter what I do. And anybody living long enough to say, that's not true. Every action we take, every moment does absolutely have effect on the people around us. And so submitting our lives ultimately to God and saying, God, you push me into my future as I lay myself down because I want the next generation, I want the person around me to be able to say, look what God did. Let him do it again. He wants to do it again. That's what 100 years from now is all about today. Let me ask you this question. What has been set in motion that's moved you to where you are today. Some of us think about the trauma and the hard things that have been set into motion that are absolutely true and critical as to our thought patterns and our actions and some of our habits. Some of us might think in nostalgic terms of the good things that that led me to this day, but it's good sometimes to look behind you in order to be able to reach and go ahead of you because what it should, though, do is get you to a point of saying, I need to change this or I need to do this or I need to be thankful for that because I'm here because of that. There's no such thing as a self-made man or woman. The person that says I'm self-made is like a person that traveled from here to Dallas and just said, hey, I did it, I did it. Look what I did, I made it. And you didn't even take into account all the pit stops, all the roads, all the things that were created in order to get you to that place. The very car you are in, you did not manufacture yourself in the same way your life is not self-made. There are people that have done things and set you on a trajectory to get you to where you are. And ultimately, as a believer, 
we see there is one that got us, even in the midst of wrong trajectory, even in the midst of a bad domino effect, came and at a point of time changed culture to give us a new future and to give us hope for the future. Amen? Amen. Let me look back in order for us to look ahead, and I'm going to spend the rest of my time today telling you a story. You want to hear a story? Story time. Here we go. This story is a story about a church called City Life Church, about its origins and where it began and what it went through and the people that toiled to get it to where it is. The story starts actually in 1997. This church started 1997. Now, I was 17 years old, so I wasn't here. But I'm going to pass on to you what was passed on to me in hopes that you will receive great hope for what God wants to do in our future. In 1997, this church was started by a man named Leo Lawson. And Leo Lawson came in as an evangelist and started going on university campuses, specifically University of Houston. Any cougars here? Come on, G. Started witnessing to campuses. As you know, students, this church started in the campus. How many of you guys, anybody in here, I know we have a lot, but they might be in one of our other three services. How many of you guys went to, uh, went, went to church through campus ministry? Anybody raise your hand in here? Yeah? Campus ministry? Yeah. Come on. There's, I see Sue Lemon. Sue Lemon was a Houston Cougar, right? University of Houston. Cougs. Cougs. And she actually played soccer as well for them, correct? And uh, met her husband, who was a homeschooler, also Coog, and uh, got, got saved through campus ministry and all that kind of stuff and ended up helping start this church. Well, in 1997, she wasn't quite there yet, but in 1997, it got started. And it was through evangelism. They got the campus going. The church started growing, and they started asking um, our organization that we're a part of called Every Nation. We're a part of a large organization in 80 countries called Every Nation. So we have a covering. We have people that we trust and love uh, to have spiritual family with. And so Every Nation, they started asking them and talking to them, hey, can we, uh, you know, get a pastor? Do we have anybody? And so they started praying. Well, finally, they brought someone named Elliot. And Pastor Elliot came and started growing the church up until about 2004. The numbers up there are attendance which isn't the only way to measure church, but for our timeline's sake, this is how we're doing it. The church started growing until about 2004. In 2004, a quarterback with the last name Carr showed up with a bunch of athletes to this church because the Houston, Texas had moved here. And Carr was in the back of the room with a bunch of huge linemen, according to the story, the tale goes. The church was a very charismatic church at that time and had flags going. Praise Jesus, flags. If you do flags, we love flags. We just do them in the back. And he was, he, was, he was standing there, and all of a sudden, boom, gets hit in the back of the head with a flag. Got a concussion and got out of NFL. Just kidding, no, just kidding. But maybe he didn't play well after that. And uh, 
this was a little bit about what's going on. So they were coming, all these NFL players were coming and going, okay, I've been to other Every Nation churches. This one's a little bit different. And so one of our leaders came in and they started trying to say, we, let's shift some culture and let's change some things and, and, and let's get more leadership oriented and let's gather people and let's have a movement. And so they talked to the current pastor, Pastor Elliot, who had done a good job of growing the church, but kind of was hitting some lids. And they asked him, hey, would you be willing to come and serve in this area, in this region of Every Nation? And we want to bring in a different pastor. And at first he said yes, but he he was a little reticent, so they finally brought in this pastor. His name was Pastor Daryl, and Pastor Daryl came in in about 2004, 2005 time. Uh, I'm sorry, in 2005, and at 2005, you notice it shrunk down to about 150 people because he shows up as the pastor, and Elliot goes, I don't think I want to do this, so the church divides in half. Pastor Daryl Starts going, growing the church, meeting with people, seeing what God's doing through his team. And two years in, the church has been growing about 275 roughly. These are rough numbers in 2007. After a women's retreat, Pastor Daryl's wife had led this women's retreat, came back and said, you know what? I'm done with church. I'm done with my marriage. I'm done with Jesus. And she took the kids and divorced him. No sexual immorality, nothing like that. She was just done. Pastor Darrell was devastated. Showing up on the pulpit, emotional, trying to figure out what to do next. And in the midst of that, he decided, you know, I think I need to step down. It's not good for me. I need to go back into engineering or do something different and just start over. So they brought in a new pastor. So this is the third, if you want to count Elliot, the fourth leader. New pastor comes in. And this pastor was green, was fresh, never pastored a church before. So he comes in around this 2007 time and notice the church just continues to tank. They start to look. They were meeting in a building in Sugarland, And that building was becoming more and more dilapidated. And so they decided let's shift everything and let's change our name to City Life Church. And let's shift to Edwards Cinema Movie Theater. We're going to start doing church in a movie theater. Just kind of change locations, change some things. After his first year, they had a board meeting. And to everyone's surprise at the board meeting, the church was $60,000 in credit card debt. No one knew. The pastor's like, eh, what had happened was, and the board went, uh, what's happening? So they made a plan. Here's what we can do to remedy this. Let's make this work as the church began to continue to decline. The pastor decided, you know what, I don't really think I want to do this, and he took off. The church was left in a movie theater setting up and tearing down without a pastor and just with a leadership team. That leadership team had different visions and ended up dividing. Had two visions. You can go to the next slide. Next slide. Next slide. <laughs> they had moved to the theater, Edwards Cinema, right there off 59, right by Lakewood. They had moved to that movie theater September 2008, when Hurricane Ike hit, and in fact, Ike destroyed their old building in Sugarland that day. Their first services were going to be the day Hurricane Ike hit. So they got out in time, praise God, but they couldn't have their first services because it was a hurricane. 
And they went, wah, wah, wah. So then they started, let's go new, let's go new. They, the pastor left. The church divided. And now there's another church from this church called Mission 24 at U of H. If you ever heard of it. And then City Life Church is left. Next slide. There were a few people left in the 2009 City Life Church leadership team. And these people, let me go through a little bit. We got Scott and Cindy Fiddler. Scott's right here. He just spoke. Hold your applause for everybody here. Just save some time. I don't have enough time here. Uh, Scott and Cindy Fiddler. Scott is a trial lawyer working in employment law, working crazy, crazy hours and trying to lead this church out of the negative and out of all of this debt, which he did in 18 months, got completely out of debt with this group of leaders and these people. Carlo and Sandra Retia, who are now in the Philippines serving at one of our Philippine church in uh, every nation in the Philippines. And they were associate pastors. They were helping continue to grow. Brian and Sue Lemon were also a part. Brian and Sue. Sue is back there. Uh, Brian is away. But they were a part of the leadership. And Brian's an architect by trade and working and coming in and setting up and building things. And Sue is helping with children and here and there and worship. Henry Emmerich was one of the pillars of our church as well. Setting up and tearing down. You're going to see pictures of him in a second. Dewan and Aisha Bellany. Aisha is now is our, is our children's pastor back there. And she back then was a part of this group that just said, you know what? This is horrible. Things aren't going well. Uh, we, don't, we don't like the feeling. But we believe that God has a church in Houston, Texas, that, that the Houston, Texas needs in every nation. Church that is passionate about campus ministry. Passionate about being Christ-centered, spirit-powered, socially responsible. And we're going to Stick through it. And lastly, Jermaine Phillips was our campus leader. Unfortunately for Jermaine, Jermaine went off to campus school of ministry and there were like six or seven campus ministers. When he came back, there were none and he went, oh gosh, what happened? It was a six-month school. This team for 18 months set up and tore down in a movie theater right by Lakewood, did services, preached, taught, did whatever they could without a pastor for 18 months. In the meantime, yeah, here's some pictures, the meeting. There's many others. I don't have time to go through all the stories. I'm going to miss out details. People are going to come to me and say, you missed. Yeah, there's not time. I only have a few minutes here. Next slide. In 2010, me and my wife and my two kids at the time, Addison, who was six, and Cadence, who was four, we had gone through the church planners assessment. We had been in full-time ministry for 10 years, and God had called us to plant a church, and we were looking to where we found Houston, Texas, and met up with this leadership team, and our hearts united. Motions ran high. <laughs> and we said, I believe we're called to Houston, Texas. And they said, I believe you are too. Next slide. So we moved and joined the, 10, June, June, joined the team June 1st, 2010. At that point, the church was averaging anywhere from 60 to 40 people. But for that whole year, 2010, we did average about 43 people per Sunday. That's women, children, cockroaches, um, <laughs> babies in the womb. We counted everybody. <laughs> I remember my fourth week here. 
looking out at the crowd of 27 people, of which seven I had invited personally, (laughs) in a movie theater that seats 300, going, what am I doing? I remember going home in the fetal position in the shower, crying with my wife. (laughs) What? What did we do? We left our family, everything. Our children were the children's ministry, literally. And we started growing. But you know the thing is that brought me here was when I met that leadership team. And I met the individuals that had stuck it out. You know, when you plan a church, I know of a very popular church right now that's not very old. They planted with a 1,000 people. Started with a 1,000 people. When you plan a church, you want to start with a lot of people because there's an excitement that's built and God's doing a new thing and he's doing this a crazy thing. The problem is sometimes it can be exciting and like cotton candy, but what have you really gone through? Not to dismiss any of those things, God moves in multiple different ways, but the thing that excited me about coming to this place is looking in the eyes of these people with hope and seeing their character that was built through perseverance. Not just built through, let's do something, God's going to move, but we've seen God move, we've seen the devil move, and we are stuck here and we're going forward. Those people, I said, I want to build with that. I want to build family and parachute in and get to know those people. And all of those people that we just showed on the board are still in this church today, serving some on staff, some elders, some deacons, and God has moved in an amazing way. And you can see the trajectory. Let's talk about that trajectory. Next slide. We began. It continued our movie theater setup. We started growing. You see uh, uh, Henry there who was in the film industry. So he would come in early and they would set up and we would tear down and the movie theater would start movies before we were done preaching and music would come on and we'd get stuck in elevators. How many of you guys got stuck in an elevator? Raise your hand real high. Yeah, we got stuck in elevators, setting up, tearing down, and Henry learned how to do the splits like Jean-Claude Van Damme. And I mean, we just did whatever it took to have church and it was exhausting, but it was so fulfilling too. Next slide. We began saying, you know what, though we're a few, we want to start impacting our community. So we got involved and had a relationship with Bread of Life, started serving the homeless and working with them. And then we started leading other churches to serve the homeless and work with them until their leadership transitioned and they shifted their money. Next slide. We were sharing... The gospel on campus, before we had all of these full-time ministry interns, we did a full campaign in our church where we showed up in these t-shirts. We were doing God tests all. Students get saved at U of H and did everything to continue to push the passion of campus ministry. I can tell you story after stories, but I don't have time. Next slide. As we continued to grow, we went to multiple services, had to get multiple theaters and the, the, trust me, you know when it grows because we paid $3 per parking spot. And I would get that bill every month. I'm like, okay, Jesus, help us. We're growing, but whoo, here we go. And we're working and we're going and we started saving up money. In the midst of that, we saved up in about four or five years, we saved up $500,000 to get ready to build a church of our own, and God provided a miraculous story where we were able to purchase this building. This building was 
about the fourth building we looked at. We actually went to several buildings before that. One actually in the theater, which interesting enough, uh, there's a story behind that. But one, and we kept going to several, and we lost them. We had architecture drawings. We had our architects doing 3D renderings and sending them out. And they, they, no, 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 we lost one, many of you know, to a strip club. And we went, what? After we did a Jericho march around it. Come on, God, what are you doing? (laughs) Did all the things. We lost all these buildings. I finally came to this one, and it was for lease, and we found out the lease, and okay. We, we got some architects, and they gave us a bid. They said, it's going to cost about half a million dollars to build it out. And we said, we don't want to spend half a million dollars of our money on something we're going to lease, rent. That's crazy. The owner called me later and said, hey, how about, I really like you. I was like, thank you. I like you too. And <laughs> he said, hey, how about... Uh, I I sell it to you. And I said, well, what's the price? And we negotiated a little bit. Then he said, I said, let me meet with you. And I had my broker and me and his broker and him. And we had developed a plan and said, here's what we want to do. And he said, yes, and here's what we ended up negotiating. He was going to own our finances so we didn't have to go through a bank, which if you go through a bank, you have to automatically put down a 20% deposit, which was all the cash we had we wouldn't be able to build out. He said, don't worry about a deposit. Use that 20% that you have to build this place out, and we'll take that off the mortgage. That's unheard of. And we said, thank you, Jesus. So we did it, and we got our architects together, and they established plans, and they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start working on the building and it's going to take us four months to build it out you laugh because you know the story next slide (laughs) we start doing building improvements we got the ac going up and we're outside ourselves getting all the nasty grass out of there and trees we got people coming in painting i mean we are doing the work we are going this was january 2016 ish We continue. We had an illegal service in here because we were ready to move in. We had a little potluck because that's what churches do. And we started gathering in this room and and we saw everything kind of showing everybody. And we were for sure, we were like, okay, we're going to be in by August. We bought it. We bought it December 30th, 2015. We're going to be in. At first it was in by June 2016. Beautiful. Then it moved to August, so I talked to the owner and said, hey, help us out. Okay, and he said, are you sure it's going to be August? We said, yes, couldn't negotiate anymore. August came and went. We're paying for the movie theater, and we're paying a mortgage now, and God is sustaining us. Finally, we couldn't do it anymore. We got out of the movie theater, and I call these the dark times, the dark years. We started doing services We did them in homes for a month, and then we did services on Saturday night, and our attendance just depleted down to about 100 people a week. Not the way you want to enter into a building. Disaster strikes. 2017, we're getting ready, and we keep, surely we're going to get the permits now. I mean, the Super Bowl came here, and, and, and bar, not that I'm bitter or anything, but bars and clubs got permits for the Super Bowl within weeks, and we had been waiting months. Not that I'm bitter, but we were so frustrated. In the middle of that, our architect 
And one of our contractors were fighting over money. We had paid everybody, but it didn't get distilled well, which happens sometimes in that industry. And they're threatening to sue us for $20,000. We're going, what has happened? We've paid you everything. I talked to the architect on the phone, and she says, no, we're good. I'm going to take care of it. A week later, she dies in her sleep. We've been through some things. That's why I'm fatter and have less hair. We're going, what are we going to do? I mean, we were able to kind of get in on a temporary permit. Me and Henry and Jay, not hours, spent days at the permit office ourselves trying to figure out how to finish this place and how to get in. And finally, we were able to get in in September 2017. But right before, a month before we were about to get in, Hurricane Harvey hits. We don't have our permits. We're trying to get in. That's the 288, the river after Hurricane Harvey that Henry himself took a picture of as he was checking out our building to make sure we're good. Next slide. So instead of just whining, complaining, we say, we're built for this. We're built for adversity. We know what to do. So we go out and started working. We ended up in over 100 homes in Harvey Relief, raised over $200,000, and then partnered with, with SVP and continuing to work with them now for Harvey Relief. Because guess what? We can deal with adversity because we have vision and we know where we're going. Was it hard? Yes. Did I want to quit? Yeah. Is God faithful? Absolutely. Keep going. Next slide. We finally, September 2017, got into this building and since then the Lord has just continued to grow us. I showed you the leadership team. Now let me show you the church staff now. Myself, my wife, who does creative arts, carries our mission director, Henry, who does production and maintenance, G, who's our teaching pastor, Earl, who is now our campus director. Anybody? Anybody excited about that? Okay, good. Uh, Sarah, who's also campus minister. Heather, who does our finances, administration. Sean, who's our worship and youth. Aisha, who does our children's ministry. Cassie, Sierra, Jasmine, and Josh, who are campus interns. Give them all a hand. And last month, we averaged over 400 people showing up here, and we're already projecting, how are we going to go to multiple services beyond where we are? Because God is moving. Let's go back to the next, or go to the next slide. For me, it really started with each one of these individuals laying their domino and saying, God, you set the course. Laying their life on the line and their time and their talent and their treasure and saying, God, I'm not a pastor, but I'm a Christian, which means a follower of Jesus. And I love the church, even though I've seen and been through some of the worst of the church. But also, sometimes in the worst comes our greatest moments. We don't get to the great sometimes without going through the worst but laying our life and saying, God, take over. I allow you to move and I ask you to move. And literally God pushing one domino to the next, to the next, to the next, to many of you that have come on and helped us and said, you know what? I'm going to give of myself and my time because I want to see Houston, Texas change. And it's going to come through ultimately God moving, but me submitting myself and saying, I want 
the trajectory of my life to move forward and impact generation to the next. And I want to be able to say, worship God because what he's done, look what he's done. Even in the midst of the hard times and the trials, because we're not promised that it's going to be easy. But look what he's done. I'm going to lay down my life. And we gave you this domino. So I want you to think about the trajectory of your life and the domino effect that you're going to leave with this question. What will set in motion today that will have the domino effect for tomorrow for you? You know, for us, it's in our church, in our community, what God is trying to build. We are not perfect. We are far from perfect. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect people. But being willing to say, God, I trust you. And I know these people are going to help shape me in you. And I lay myself because I want to impact generations to come. And the best way to do that, we're going to talk next week, is through community. But it starts with my relationship with Jesus. And it starts as you look at this domino thinking of the ultimate one who laid down his life for the domino effect of all time. And that's Jesus. He willingly, not begrudgingly, but willingly stood there and received the punishment for our sins so that we now can walk in his life and know him and be impacting our culture, our city, our family, our own lives and lives to come. Will you stand to your feet with me? We're going to ask the worship team to come and we're going to sing this song. You know, interesting enough, I preached a sermon almost five years ago where I used the illustration of a Chinese bamboo tree. If you're not familiar, a Chinese bamboo tree, put the seed in the ground. You water it. You know, it takes five years for anything to grow. And then after five years, in six weeks, grows 90 feet. Can you imagine being the one to plant that seed? Because the question is, does it grow 90 feet in five years or in six weeks? The answer is five years because you have to water it. And you have to take care of it. And imagine being the one planting that seed and watering and dude's like, oh, what do you got there? Chinese bamboo tree. Oh, okay, cool. A year later, bro, you're still watering. Yeah, there's Chinese bamboo tree. No, there's not. You're crazy. There's nothing there. No, there is. See, the dominoes I've put in place is to water and fertilize and take care of what I know is going to be there even if I don't see it, even if it's harsh and things aren't going my way. Watering. And year five, everybody goes, wow, I want one of those. Do you? You know what it takes? A lot. A lot of time. A lot of perseverance. A lot of faith. And a hope that this is ultimately going to pay off. And as we say here, our job is faithfulness and God's job is fruitfulness. And I'm just going to water. And 
and we get to now see the result. If, I, if everybody stood up in here that was a deacon now, or a leader, an elder, it's amazing what God is doing. Will you join us ultimately in sacrifice to Jesus with what God wants to do 100 years from now? Let's pray.